irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. The Sapphire Planet. As preparations were made for the U.S. tour, the Beatles knew their music would hardly be heard. Having originally used Vox AC30 amplifiers, they later acquired more powerful 100-watt amplifiers, specially designed by Vox for them as they moved into larger venues in 1964. But these were still inadequate. Struggling to compete with the volume of sound generated by screaming fans, the band had grown increasingly bored with the routine of performing live. Recognizing that their shows were no longer about the music, they decided to make their August tour their last. Rubber Soul had marked a major step forward. Revolver, released in August 1966, a week before the Beatles' final tour, marked another. Some identified it as the sound of the band growing into supreme confidence and redefining what was expected from popular music. Revolver featured sophisticated songwriting, studio experimentation, and a greatly expanded repertoire of musical styles, ranging from innovative classical string arrangements to psychedelic rock. Abandoning the customary group photograph, its cover designed by Klaus Vormann, a friend of the band since their Hamburg days, was a stark, arty, black-and-white collage that caricatured the Beatles in a pen-and-ink style beholden to Aubrey Beardsley in Gould's description. The album was preceded by the single Paperback Writer, backed by rain 
Short promotional video films were made for both songs, described by cultural historians as among the first true music videos. They aired on the Ed Sullivan Show and in England on the Top of the Pops in June 1966. Among the experimental songs that Revolver featured was Tomorrow Never Knows, the lyrics for which Lennon drew from the Timothy Leary, The Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Its creation involved eight tape decks distributed about the EMI building, each manned by an engineer or band member who randomly varied the movement of a tape loop while Martin created a composite recording by sampling the incoming data. McCartney's Eleanor Rigby made prominent use of string octet. It was a true hybrid, conforming to no recognizable style or genre of song. Harrison was developing as a strong writer as well, and three of his compositions earned a place on the record. In 2003, Rolling Stone ranked Revolver as the third greatest album of all time. During the U.S. tour that followed its release, however, the band performed none of its songs. They were very much studio creations, and there was no way a four-piece rock and roll group could do them justice on stage, particularly throughout the desensitizing wall of the fans' screams. Live Beatles and Studio Beatles had become entirely different beasts. The band's final concert at San Francisco Candlestick Park on August 29th was their last commercial concert. It marked the end of a four-year period dominated by almost non-stop touring that included over 1,400 concert appearances internationally. Freed from the burden of touring, the Beatles embraced an increasingly experimental approach as they recorded Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band beginning in late November 1966. According to engineer Joff Emmerich, the album's recordings took over 700 hours. He recalled the band's insistence that everything on Sgt. Pepper had to be different. We had microphones right down in the bells of brass instruments and headphones turned into microphones attached to violins. We used giant primitive oscillators to vary the speed of instruments and vocals. And we had tapes chopped to pieces and stuck together upside down in the wrong way around. Parts of a Day in a Life featured a 40-piece orchestra. 
The sessions initially yielded the non-album double-A side single, Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane, in February 1967. The Sgt. Pepper LP followed in June. Musical complexity of the records, created using relatively primitive four-track recording technology, astounded contemporary artists. For Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson, then in the midst of a personal crisis and struggling at the time to complete the ambitious Smile album, hearing Strawberry Fields was a crushing blow and he soon abandoned all attempts to compete with his friendly rivals. Among music critics, the claim for the album was virtually universal. The overwhelming consensus is that the Beatles had created a popular masterpiece, a rich, sustained, and overflowing work of collaborative genius, whose bold ambition and startling originality dramatically enlarged the possibilities and raised the expectations of what the experience of listening to popular music on record could be. On the basis of this perception, Sgt. Pepper became the catalyst for an explosion of math enthusiasm for album-formatted rock that revolutionized both the aesthetics and the economics of the record business in ways that far outstripped the earlier pop explosions triggered by the Elvis phenomena of 1956 and the Beatlemania phenomena of 1963. Sgt. Pepper was the first major pop rock LP to include its complete lyrics, which appeared on the back cover. Those lyrics were the subject of critical analysis. For instance, in late 1967, the album was subject of a scholarly inquiry by an American literary critic and professor of English who observed that the students were listening to the group's music with a degree of engagement that he, as a teacher of literature, could only envy. He identified what he termed as mixed elusiveness. It is unwise to ever assume that they're doing only one thing or expressing themselves in only one style. One kind of feeling about a subject isn't enough. Any single induced feeling must often exist within the context of seemingly contradictory alternatives. McCartney said at the time, We write songs. We know what we mean by them. But in a week someone else says something about it, and you can't deny it. You put your own meaning at your own level to our songs. In 2003, Rolling Stone ranked it number one on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Sgt. Pepper elaborate cover also attracted considerable interest and study. The collage designed by pop artists Pete Blake and Jan Haworth 
is depicted the groups as a as the fictional band referred to in the album's title track, standing in front of a crowd of famous people. The heavy mustaches worn by the group reflected the growing influence of the hippie style, while cultural historians describe their brightly colored parodies of military uniforms as knowingly anti-authoritarian and anti-establishment display. On June 25, 1967, the Beatles performed their forthcoming single, All You Need Is Love, to an estimated 350 million viewers on Our World, the first live global television link. Released a week later during the Summer of Love, the song was adopted as a flower power anthem. Two months later, the group suffered a loss that threw their careers in turmoil. Having been introduced to Maharishi Mahashi Yogi only the previous night in London, on August 25th, they traveled to Bangor for his Transcendental Meditation Retreat. Two days later, their manager's assistant, Peter Brown, phoned to inform them that their manager Epstein had died. The coroner ruled the death an accidental carbidol overdose, although it was widely rumored to be a suicide. Epstein had been in a fragile emotional state, stressed by personal issues and concerns that the band might not renew his management contract due to, ins- to expire in October, over discontent with his supervision of business matters, particularly regarding Celtiab, the company that handled their U.S. merchandising rights. His death left the group disoriented and fearful about the future. Lennon recalled, We collapsed. I knew that we were in trouble then. I didn't really have any misconceptions about our ability to do anything other than play music. And I was scared. I thought, we've had it now. The Magical Mystery Tour The soundtrack to a forthcoming Beatles television film was released in the UK as a six-track double extended play disc or EP in early December 1967 in the United States the six songs were issued on an identically titled LP that also included five tracks from the band's recent singles it is said of the magical mystery tour The psychedelic sound is very much in the vein of Sgt. Pepper, and even spacier in parts, especially the sound collage of I Am the Walrus. And it's called its five songs cold from the band's 1967 singles, Huge, Glorious, and Innovative. In its first three weeks, the album set a record for the highest initial sales of any capital LP, and it is the only capital compilation later to be adopted in the band's official canon of studio albums. First aired on Boxing Day 
in the UK. The magical mystery tour film, largely directed by Mark Cartney, brought the group their first major negative US, UK press. It was dismissed as blatant rubbish by the Daily Express. The Daily Mail called it a colossal conceit. The Guardian laid in the, labeled the film a kind of fantasy morality play about the grossness and warmth and stupidity of the audience. It was a great deal of raw footage showing a group of people getting on, getting off, and riding a bus. Although the viewership figures were respectable, its slating in the press led the U.S. television networks to lose interest in broadcasting the film. In January 1968, the Beatles filmed a cameo for the animated movie Yellow Submarine, which featured cartoon versions of the band members and soundtrack with 11 of their songs, including four unreleased studio recordings that made their debut in the film. Recorded, released in July 1968, the film was praised by critics for its music, humor, and innovative visual style. It would be seven months, however, before the film's soundtrack album appeared. In the interim came The Beatles, a double LP commonly known as The White Album for its virtually featureless cover. Creative inspiration for the album came from a new direction. Without manager Epstein's guiding presence, the group had briefly turned to Maharashi Mahi Yogi as their guru. At his ashram in Rishikesh, India, a guide course scheduled for three months marked one of their most prolific periods, yielding numerous songs, including a majority of the 30 included on the album. However, Ringo Starr left after only 10 days, liking it to Bolton's, and McCartney eventually grew bold, bored, and departed a month later. For Lennon and Harrison, creativity turned to questioning when an electronics technician known as Magic Alex suggested that the Maharashi was attempting to manipulate them. When he alleged that the Maharashi had made sexual advances to women attendees, a persuaded Lennon left abruptly just two months into the course bringing an unconvinced Harrison and the remainder of the group's entourage with him. In anger, Lennon wrote a scathing song titled Maharishi, renamed Sexy Sadie to avoid potential legal issues. McCartney said we made a mistake. We thought there was more to him than there was. During recording sessions for the White Album, which stretched from late May to mid-October 1968, relations between the Beatles grew openly divisive. Ringo Starr quit for two weeks, and McCartney took over the drum kit for Back in the USSR, 
on which Harrison and Lennon drummed as well. And Dear Prudence. Lennon had lost interest in collaborating with McCartney, whose contribution, Obladi Oblada, he scorned as granny music stuff. Tensions were further aggravated by Lennon's romantic preoccupation with an avant-garde artist, Yoko Ono, whom he insisted on bringing to the sessions, despite the group's well-established understandings that girlfriends were not allowed in the studio. Describing the double album, Lennon later said, Every track is an individual track. There isn't any Beatle music on it. It's John in the band, Paul in the band, George in the band. McCartney has recalled that the album wasn't a pleasant one to make. Both he and Lennon identified the sessions as the start of the band's breakup. Issued in November, the White Album was the band's first Apple Records album release, although EMI continued to own their recordings. The new label was a subsidiary of Apple Corps, which Epstein had formed as part of his plan to create a tax-effective business structure. The record attracted more than 2 million advanced orders, selling nearly 4 million copies in the U.S. in little over a month, and its tracks dominated the playlist of American radio stations. Despite its popularity, it did not receive flattering reviews at the time. The critical response ranged from mixed to flat, in marked contrast to Sgt. Pepper, which had helped to establish an entire genre of literate rock criticism. The White Album inspired no critical writing of any note. Even the most sympathetic reviewers clearly didn't know what to make of this shapeless outpouring of songs. Citing the high proportion of parodies, accused the group of getting their tongues caught in their cheeks. generally critical opinion eventually turned in favor of the White Album and in 2003 Rolling Stone ranked it as the 10th greatest album of all time it was described as large and sprawling overflowing with ideas but also with indulgences and filled with a hugely variable array of material its failings are essential to its character as its triumphs the band's two main songwriter forces were no longer on the same page, where neither were George and Ringo. Yet, Lennon turns in two of his best ballads. McCartney's songs are stunning. Harrison had become a songwriter who deserved wider exposure, and Starr's composition was a delight. The Yellow Submarine LP, issued in January 1969, contained only the four previously unreleased songs that had debuted in the film, along with the title track, already issued on Revolver. All You Need Is Love, 
already issued as a single, and on the U.S. Magical Mystery Tour LP, and seven instrumental pieces composed by Martin. Because of the paucity of new Beatles music, it was suggested the album might be inessential, but for Harrison's It's All Too Much, the jewel of the new songs, responded in swirling Mellotron, larger-than-life percussion, and a tidal wave of feedback guitar, a virtuoso excursion into otherwise hazy psychedelia. Although Let It Be was the Beatles' final album release, it was largely recorded before Abbey Road. The project's impetus came from an idea Martin attributes to McCartney, who suggested they record an album of new material and rehearse it, and then perform it before a live audience for the very first time, on record and on film. Originally intended for a one-hour television program to be called Beatles at Work, much of the album's content came from extensive rehearsals filmed by director Michael Lindsay Hogg at Twickenham Film Studios beginning in January 1969. Martin has said that the project was not at all a happy recording experience. It was a time when the relations between the Beatles were at their lowest ebb. Lennon described the largely impromptu sessions as hell, the most miserable on earth, and Harrison, the low of all time, Irritated by both McCartney and Lennon, Harrison walked out for five days. Upon returning, he threatened to leave the band unless they abandoned all talk of live performances and instead focused on finishing the new album entitled Get Back, using songs recorded for the TV special. He also demanded that they cease work at Twickenham Studios and relocate to the newly finished Apple Studio. The other band members agreed, and the idea came about to salvage the footage shot for the TV production for use in a feature film. In an effort to alleviate tensions within the band and improve the quality of their live sound, Harrison invited keyboardist Billy Preston to participate in the last nine days of sessions. Preston received label billing on the Get Back single, the only musician ever to receive that acknowledgement on an official Beatles release. At the conclusion of rehearsals, the band could not agree on a location to film a concert, rejecting several ideas, including a boat at sea, a lunatic asylum, the Tunisian desert, and the Colosseum. Ultimately, what would be their final live performance was filmed on a rooftop of the Apple Corps building at 3 Salvile Row, London, on January 30, 1969. Five weeks later, engineer Glyn Johns, who describes as Get Back's uncredited producer, began work assembling an album given free reign as the band 
all but has washed their hands of the entire project. New strains developed between the band members regarding the appointment of a financial advisor, the need for which had become evident without Epstein to manage business affairs. Lennon, Harrison, and Starr favored Alan Klein, who had managed the Rolling Stones and Sam Cooke. McCartney wanted John Eastman, brother of Linda Eastman, whom McCartney married on March 12th. Agreement could not be reached, so both were temporarily appointed but further conflict ensued and financial opportunities were lost. On May 8th, Klein was named sole manager of the band. Martin stated that he was surprised when McCartney asked him to produce another album as the get-back sessions had been a miserable experience and he had thought it was the end of the road for all of us. The primary recording sessions for Abbey Road began on July 2, 1969. Lennon, who rejected Martin's proposed format of a continuously moving piece of music, wanted his and McCartney's song to occupy separate sides of the album. The eventual format, with individually composed songs on the first side, and the second, consisting largely of a melody, was McCartney's suggested compromise. On July 4th, the first solo single by a Beatle was released. Lennon's Give Peace a Chance, credited to the Plastic Ono Band, the completion and mixing of I Want You, She's So Heavy, on August 20th, 1969, was the last occasion on which all four Beatles were together in the same studio. Lennon announced his departure to the rest of the group on September 20th, but agreed to withhold public announcement to avoid undermining sales of the forthcoming album. Released six days after Lennon's declaration, Abbey Road sold four million copies within three months and topped the UK charts for a total of 17 weeks. The second track, The Ballad Something, was issued as a single, the only Harrison composition ever to appear as a Beatle A-side. Abbey Road received mixed reviews, although the melody met with general acclaim. It was a fitting swan song for the group, containing some of the greatest harmonies to be heard on any rock record. Musicologists call the album erratic and often hollow, despite the assemblance of unity and coherence offered by the medley. Martin has singled it out as his personal favorite of all the band's albums. Lennon said it was competent, but had no life in it. Recording engineer Emmerich notes that the replacement of the studio's valve mixing console with a transistorized one yield a less punchy sound, leaving the group frustrated at the thinner tone and lack of impact and contributing to its 
kinder, gentler feel relative to their previous albums. For the still unfinished Get Back album, one last song, Harrison's I, Me, Mine, was recorded on January 3rd, 1970 in Denmark at the time. Lennon, who was in Denmark at the time, did not participate. In March, rejecting the work Johns had done on the project, now retitled Let It Be, Klein gave the session tapes to American producer Phil Spector, who had recently produced Lennon's solo single, Instant Karma. In addition to remixing the material, Spector edited, spliced, and overdubbed several of the recordings that had been intended as live. McCartney was unhappy with the producer's approach and particularly dissatisfied with the lavish orchestration on The Long and Winding Road, which involved a 14-voice choir and 36-piece instrumental ensemble. McCartney's demands that the alterations to the song be reverted were ignored, and he publicly announced his departure from the band on April 10, 1970, a week before the release of his first self-titled solo album. On May 8th, the Spectre-produced Let It Be album was released. Its accompanying single, The Long and Winding Road, was the Beatles' last. It was released in the United States, but not in Britain. The Let It Be documentary film followed later that month and would win the 1970 Academy Award for Best Original Song Score. A Sunday Telegraph critic called it a very bad film and a touching one about the breaking apart of this reassuring geometrically perfect, once apparently ageless family of siblings. Several reviewers stated that some of the performances in the film sounded better than in their analogous album tracks. Describing Let It Be as the only Beatles album to occasion negative, even hostile reviews, it was called on the whole underrated There were some good moments of straight hard rock in I've Got a Feeling and Dig a Pony and Let It Be and Get Back and the folky two of us with John and Paul harmonious together. McCartney filed suit for the dissolution of the Beatles' contractual partnership on December 31, 1970. Legal disputes continued long after their breakup and the dissolution was not formalized until December 29th, 1974. Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Starr all released solo albums in the 1970s. Their solo records sometimes involved one or more of the others, Stars Ringo, 1973, was the only album to include compositions and performances by all four ex-Beatles, 
albeit on separate songs. With Starr's participation, Harrison staged the Concert for Bangladesh in New York City on August 1971. Other than an unreleased jam session in 1974, later bootlegged as A Toot and a Snore in 1974, Lennon and McCartney never recorded together again. Two double LP sets of the Beatles' greatest hits, compiled by Klein, 1962 to 1966 and 1967 to 70, were released in 1973, at first under the Apple Records imprint, commonly known as the Red Album and the Blue Album, respectively. Each have earned a multi-platinum certification in the United States and a platinum certification in the United Kingdom. Between 1976 and 1982, EMI Capital released a wave of compilation albums without input from the ex-Beatles, starting with the double-disc compilation Rock and Roll Music. The only one to feature previously unreleased material was The Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, 1977, the first officially issued concert recording by the group. It contained selections from two shows they played during the 1964 and 1965 U.S. tours. The music and enduring fame of the Beatles has been commercially exploited in various other ways, again, often outside their creative control. In April 1974, the musical John, Paul, George, Ringo, and Bert, written by Willie Russell and featuring singer Barbara Dickinson, opened in London. It included, with permission from Northern Songs, 11 Lennon-McCartney compositions and one by Harrison, Here Comes the Sun. Displeased with the production's use of his song, Harrison withdrew his permission to use it. All this and the World War II in 1976 was an unorthodox nonfiction film that combined newsreel footages with the covers of Beatles songs and by performers ranging from Elton John and Keith Moon to the London Symphony Orchestra. The Broadway musical Beatlemania an unauthorized nostalgia review opened in early 1977 and proved popular, spinning off five separate touring productions. In 1979, the band sued the producers, settling for several million dollars in damages. Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club Band, 1978, a musical film starring the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton, was a commercial failure and an artistic fiasco, according to critics. Then came the 1980s. After the 1980 murder of Lennon, George Harrison rewrote the lyrics to his song All Those Years Ago in Lennon's honor, with Ringo Starr on drums and Paul McCartney and his wife Linda contributing backing vocals. The song was released as a single in May 1981. McCartney's own tribute, Here Today, appeared on his Tug of War album 
in, 19, in April 82. In 1987, George Harrison's Cloud Nine album included When We Were Fab, a song about the Beatlemania era. When the Beatles studio albums were released on CD by EMI and Apple Corps in 1987, their catalog was standardized throughout the world, establishing a canon of the 12 original studio LPs as issued in the UK, plus the US LP version of Magical Mystery Tour in 1967. All the remaining material from the singles and the EPs, which had not appeared on the original studio albums, was gathered on the two-volume compilation LP Past Masters, published in 1988. Except for the Red and the Blue albums, EMI deleted all its other Beatle songs, including the Hollywood Bowl record from its catalog. In 1988, the Beatles were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, their first year of eligibility. George Harrison and Ringo Starr attended the ceremony with Lennon's widow Yoko Ono and his two sons Julian and Sean. Paul McCartney declined to attend, citing unresolved business differences that would make him feel like a complete hypocrite waving and smiling with them at a fake reunion. The following year, EMI Capital settled a decade-long lawsuit filed by the band over royalties, clearing the way to commercially package previously unreleased material. The 1990s Live at the BBC, the first official release of unissued Beatles performances in 17 years, appeared in 1994. That same year, McCartney, Harrison, and Starr collaborated in the Anthology Project. Anthology was the accumulation of work begun in 1970, when Apple Corps director Neil Espinal, their former road manager and personal assistant, had started to gather material for a documentary with the working title, the Long and Winding Road. Documenting their history in the band's own words, the anthology project included the release of several unissued Beatle recordings. McCartney, Harrison, and Starr also added new instrumental and vocal parts to two songs recorded as demos by Lennon in the late 70s and early 80s. During 1995-96, the project yielded a television miniseries, an eight-volume video set, and three two-CD box sets featuring artwork by Klaus Vormann. The two songs based on Lennon's demos, Free as a Bird and Real Love, were issued as new Beatles singles. The releases were commercially successful, and the television series was viewed by an estimated 400 million people. In 1999, to coincide with the re-release of the 1968 film Yellow Submarine, a new soundtrack compilation CD, Yellow Submarine Soundtrack, was issued. In 
the 2000s. The Beatles won a compilation album of the band's British and American number one hits was released on 13, November 13, 2000. It became the fastest-selling album of all time, with 3.6 million albums sold in its first week and 13 million within the first month. It topped album charts in at least 28 countries, including UK and US. As of April 2009, the compilation has sold 31 million copies globally and was the best-selling album of the decade in the United States. Sadly, George Harrison died from metastatic lung cancer in November 2001. McCartney and Starr were among the musicians who performed at the concert for George, organized by Eric Clapton and Harrison's widow, Olivia. The tribute event took place at the Royal Albert Hall on the first anniversary of Harrison's death. In addition to songs he composed for the group and during his solo career, the concert included a celebration of Indian classical music, which had significantly influenced Harrison. In 2003, Let It Be Naked, a reconceived version of the Let It Be album with McCartney supervising production, was released. One of the main differences with the Spectre-produced version was the omission of the original string arrangements. It was a top 10 hit in both America and Britain. The U.S. album configuration from 1964 to 65 were released as a box set in 2004 and 2006, known as the Capitol Albums, Volume 1 and Volume 2, included both stereo and mono versions based on the mixes that were prepared for the vinyl at the time of the music's original American release. As a soundtrack for Cirque du Soleil, Las Vegas Beatles stage review, Love, George Martin and his son Giles remixed the blended 130 of the band's recordings to create what Martin called a way of reliving the whole Beatles music lifespan on a very condensed period. The show premiered in June 2006, and the Love album was released that November when McCartney discussed his hope that Carnival of Light, a 14-minute experimental recording made at Abbey Road in 1967, would receive official release. A rare live performance involving two ex-Beatles took place on April 2009 at a benefit concert organized by McCartney at New York City's Radio City Music Hall where he was joined by Ringo Starr for three songs. On September 9, 2009, the Beatles' entire back catalog was reissued following extensive digital remastering process that lasted four years. Stereo editions of all 12 original UK albums, along with Magical Mystery Tour 
and the Past Masters compilation were released on compact discs both individually and as a box set. Comparing the new releases with the 1987 CDs, which had been widely criticized for their lack of clarity and dynamism, critics wrote, the remastered vocals are pure, more natural sounding, and give the illusion of sitting slightly higher in the mix. A second collection of Beatles in the mono included remastered versions of every Beatles album released in true mono, along with the original 1965 stereo mixes of Help and Rubber Soul, which Martin had also remixed for the 1987 edition. The Beatles Rock Band, a music video game in the Rock Band series, was issued on the same day. On December 2009, the band's catalog was officially released in MP3 format and in limited edition of 30,000 USB flash drives. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.